My topic this evening is a community of truth. And my text is from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul says, I am writing these things to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So our series continues. What sort of community, what sort of church are we called to be? A welcoming community? A hospitable community? A holy community? Today, a community of truth. Indeed, our text says that we are to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. That is, we are to uphold and support the truth. We can do this in two ways, by proclaiming, teaching, witnessing to the truth, and by living truthfully in our relationships with God, with ourselves, with one another, and with our neighbor. We are to talk the talk and to walk the walk. Not one, not the other, but both. There is relational truth and propositional truth. Staying true in relationships calls for self-disclosure, honesty, fidelity, promise-keeping, confession where needed, and it always is, forgiveness, perseverance, in short, agape love. But the Christian faith does not consist only in true relationships because its center is Jesus, a great teacher, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So our faith also includes propositions about God, ourselves, the world, and our place in it, the past, the future, the present. These are true because they conform to reality as we experience it. Indeed, they not only conform to reality, they transform reality. They are true because we believe they are not variable precepts of human wisdom and human speculation, but the revelation inspired by the only true God because they are the word of God. Now, the first thing to be said about being a community of truth is that it is hard and costly. The cultural undertow against us runs stronger and stronger. To uphold and support the truth, you and I must reject, in whole or in part, the following wildly popular assertions. One, God loves us just as we are if there is a God. Two, there are many paths to God. Find your own. Three, don't be judgmental. You don't know what's best for another person any more than they know what's best for you. Four, sin is an outdated category, damaging to self-esteem and used by the powerful to control and shame the oppressed. Five, any mode of sexual expression between consenting adults is permissible and none of your business. Six, 
Truth is relative, and each one must find it for himself or herself. Before we look to our scripture readings for the light they cast on these assertions, notice how lonely it becomes when you uphold all of them sincerely. You become an atomized, isolated self, negotiating sex, fashioning truth, creating a belief system, tolerating others at a distance, with our only commonality being a commitment to tolerance of our diversity. Perhaps that loneliness is part of what drives you and me each week into this community to learn together, to sing together, to eat together in the context of the greatest shared story ever told, God's loving rescue mission through his son, Jesus. In our gospel reading from John chapter 8, Jesus has just claimed to be the light of the world and warned his hearers, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In today's reading, Jesus says that to know the truth and be set free by it, you must abide in his word. The Greek is meno, to remain, to stick fast, to hold on to. Jesus divines the murderous intentions of some in the crowd and challenges them. You seek to kill me, he says, because my word finds no place in you. You say you are children of Abraham. That is not what Abraham did. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You cannot bear to hear my word because you are not of God. So there are not many paths to God, according to Jesus. There is Jesus who is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father, he says, but by him. His name means Yahweh saves. His character commends the truth of this. His death on the cross affects it. His resurrection confirms it. His heavenly intercession continues God's saving action. If we are to be a community of truth, we must have nothing more or less to offer than Jesus and him crucified for the sins of the world. That is why our name, the Church of the Cross, our preaching and our music are so focused on the atonement. We believe it is the way forward, the only ultimate way forward. Of course God loves us just the way we are, but this is half the truth and thus even more dangerous than falsehood. God loves us just the way we are and calls us to return to fellowship with him, to be transformed and changed, to forsake our sinful behaviors and to receive his greatest gift, the Holy Spirit. God loves us so much that he calls us to die to ourselves and live for him and with him. Only then will we gain true self-esteem. Our reading from Romans chapter 1 illustrates the costliness of truth. This passage of scripture is never read, much less preached on, in mainline Protestant churches. Indeed, in Canada, a pastor who preached on this text 
was prosecuted and found guilty of hate speech. And those of you who are university students will have a similar experience if you rent a microphone and read this passage from the library steps of your academic institution. But this punitive rejection only makes Paul's point. There is a massive conspiracy to suppress the truth about God and to worship something less than God. The truth about God, that is his eternal power and majesty, is clearly perceived in the created world, says Paul. And modern astrophysics confirms his point when it estimates the extreme improbability of the universe giving rise to intelligent life by chance. How much had to go just right for our planet to produce living organisms and for those organisms to develop conscious, creative intelligence. The atheist who looks at the universe and says, I see no evidence of God, is himself an argument for intelligent design. Because of our basic refusal to honor God as God, with foolish hearts and futile thinking, he has given us up to impurity to dishonorable passions, envy, murder, deceit, the tragic decline from foolishness to faithlessness to heartlessness to ruthlessness results finally in a complete moral inversion in which we not only do what God has forbidden, but we applaud it when it is done. If Paul is right, and notice that this is his own Genesis account of the fall of man without the story of Adam and Eve, then our sexuality is deeply compromised by sin, resulting from this suppression of the truth. And we need to ask God for healing and transformation if we are to express it in a way that pleases him and brings us lasting fulfillment. This truth, friends, is painful. This truth is unwelcome. In our first reading, one of the most dramatic confrontations in the Bible, Nathan rescues David from well-deserved death as a murderer and an adulterer. It took great courage for Nathan to confront his king, a noted warrior. He must have wondered if he would survive the encounter. But through the story of the beloved lamb, Nathan wisely leads David to condemn his own behavior himself before he knows what he is charged with, and Nathan's mission is accomplished. David repents as a result of the confrontation. It is forgiven, but at a cost. David will experience violence in his own house, and the child born of his adultery will die. And this reminds us that not even God's forgiveness can put us back in the situation before we committed the sin. While David is restored to fellowship with God, the scars remain. In the Old Testament, the prophets like Nathan often functioned as prosecutors, indicting Israel and its leaders for covenant breaking. What we notice less often is how in the New Testament, the apostles wrestle with sin and heresy in the early Christian churches to bring back the straying and the lost. Indeed, this isn't just limited to the apostles. As Paul writes to the Galatians, 
Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Bearing one another's burdens at the Church of the Cross involves patient listening and honest sharing, whether one-on-one or in our neighborhood groups, or perhaps in triads, groups of three, that Mark will commend to you to try for the period of Lent through Pentecost. But it also involves a freedom, a willingness, humbly, gently, and in love, to challenge one another as Nathan challenged David when sin is serious and clear. When Jesus says, judge not, that you be not judged, he means presuming to pronounce the ultimate verdict on the worth of another's life or his or her destiny in the life to come. And that is God's prerogative and not ours. But truth in relationships requires at times costly confrontation. And finally, from our psalm, Psalm 25, these words. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, and for you I wait all the day long. As the rest of the psalm makes clear, this petition is not demanded of right, but emerges out of a profound experience of God's mercy and forgiveness and protection. It is as forgiven sinners that we ask to be led in truth, We must be clear that God is our teacher, that the learning goal is truth that sets us free, which is nothing less than salvation. And this is a work not of our own doing. It comes from God, for whom we must wait continuously. In this context, we remember our brother, Doc McLaren, a man of great faith and a lifelong teacher whose full salvation was accomplished through death last Wednesday. May his soul rest in peace. So while truth is not relative, it is at least individual in the sense that while the propositions of our faith are true always, everywhere and for all, as Vincent of Lorenz put it, they are expressed in a personal relationship that each of us has with our Lord and which we must work at in fear and trembling as God works in us through his Holy Spirit. Standing firm against the cultural undertow, exposing the great conspiracy to suppress the truth about God, offering our sexuality for healing and transformation, confronting one another where needed to obtain release from sin, and staying, above all, staying centered on Jesus, through whom God saves, this is not easy work. But if truth is our goal, it is essential. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, and for you I wait all the day long. Amen.